Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. See, children grow up thinking the adult world is ordered, rational, fit for purpose. It's crap. It's all rotten. Realizing how to celebrate that rottenness, that's freedom. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, how much money is a mouse's life worth to you? <laughs> like, I would pay... It's more like how much would I pay to have people kill every mouse I ever encountered. I, I, I hate them. You I hate, hate mice? I hate, yes. Why? I think I have a mild phobia. I'm David Bizarre from Cornell University. I think I have a phobia. Like I actually, the, like we had a, a mouse infestation when I was a kid in my house and I think I had a bad experience, like a traumatic experience. I have PTSD. Like I was chasing down some mouse and like I, with a broom and I hit it and the broom part flipped it up and the mouse came right up to like my face and I felt like for a moment that felt like eternity, we were eye to eye and, and I knew <laughs> that's one of us wasn't going to survive this <laughs> but i freaked out and screamed like like a like girl. The little kid that yeah. i was are you sure it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you know that graphic novel mouse that you were rooting for the nazi cats <laughs> all i'm all i'm saying is i have to admit that if you use propaganda on me that compared anybody to to being vermin like mice it would probably have worked and i i'm ashamed to admit it but it would have worked on any ethnicity um so today we are discussing a piece in the second segment called morals and markets that involves a choice a moral choice about how much you would sacrifice to save the life of a mouse um, but first, we're going to discuss this article, um, and this was pointed out to me. It's an it's on Eon, that website that publishes some good things, right? Eon. Yeah. And this was emailed to me by a young philosopher named Vita Yao. Vita Yao. She's a UNC grad student, a Susan Wolf student, um, and now about to be a professor at Rice University. And we share some of the same attitudes about philosophy. Not all of them. I don't want to drag her into you know my, but <laughs> but but enough for her to send Wrong me news. this article from Eon, knowing that I would hate it. The title is already kind of ludicrous enough. If 
babies were randomly <laughs> allocated to families, would racism end? That's the title of the article. And so, you know, obviously <laughs> preposterous, but it only gets worse. It's not obviously preposterous. It's kind of obviously preposterous. It's, it's asking a hypothetical question. I, I sent this to you. But and you can attest to this, right? I didn't want to discuss it on the podcast because the last two episodes I've been kind of a hater. I don't want to just right. trash pieces of writing on right. on the episode, right? And I and I, right. I like things. I like. I'd rather talk about things that I like than things that I don't like. But then right. I did have this sort of dim kind of inchoate inchoate. <laughs> I don't know. That's, not, that's one of them SAT words. <laughs> this, this vision that you might agree with the article, that you might think, I think it's, it's in, in, in choke. That's how I pronounce well, it. Right. But, but it did occur to me that this might push your buttons, like those kind of Kantian erogenous zones. It might hit all of them. And, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and in fact, I, it turned out that I was right about that. You love this article. I don't think you know what the word Kantian means anymore. <laughs> I think you've just like started you, using it for like shit I don't shit Tamler doesn't like. Believe me, I've like come to understand it a lot more. This is the, since this is the least doing, Kantian argument since we've been <laughs> uh, doing this uh, article. No, 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 I disagree. I maintain that you're the Kantian in this case. All right, well, here's the Here's the opening paragraph and then you can defend it. Okay, well, let's say what just say the title and who wrote it. Well, I said the title, right? No, you didn't. Yes, if babies were randomly allocated to families, would racism end? Okay, maybe you did. So Howard Racklin, yeah, who is a a well-known behaviorist, uh, psychologist at SUNY Stony Brook, and Marvin Frankel, who I do not know, but a psychologist uh, at Sarah Lawrence College. Somehow this wasn't written by philosophers. Like... I, you couldn't tell. I could totally tell. This oh, was totally no. written. By, I thought it was. By it's sort of like if you're part of like an oppressed minority group and like an act of violence happens and you're like, please let it not be my group. You know, that's how I felt this is, about this. Please let this not be philosophers. And then it turns out not to be philosophers. <laughs> so you were happy. happy yeah. the, um, the, but it is it is written conceptually it's sloppily in a way that I don't think philosophers would would have written it. So here's the opening right. paragraph. Imagine a world in which all the babies born each day were randomly redistributed among the biological parents. The infant assigned to any given set of parents could be white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, or any combination thereof, and that's just the U.S. The baby could be perfectly healthy or grossly deformed. Parents would know only that their child was not their biological child. Let us call this social mixing right that just that line right there that's like let us call let us social, call this ita social in italics mixing. social mixing in italics in case you yeah. you, you, you missed it <laughs> so and then it just goes on to defend this social mixing. no 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 it doesn't go on to say, defend it first of all it takes care of the objections that you probably already had in your mind this plan quote this plan is of course politically impossible Perhaps even repellent. Perhaps. Our, our Perhaps. goal, however, is to, yanking is, every to kid from their parents. is to engage the reader in a thought experiment to examine why it stirs up such uncomfortable feelings. They've already won. They've already defeated all of your arguments. So, they, you, you have nothing but an emotional response right. to this. So let's, let's identify so, why. So, it's, so. so here's the thing about it, right? If it, the, there's, a, there's a kind of structural problem with the argument, the 
on the one hand, it sets itself up as you tried to set it up as a thought experiment that tries to just reveal or illuminate some of the natural prejudices that we have as a way of, you know, opening up discussion about those prejudices. But in fact, the article <laughs> devotes a good amount of time to dealing with like real practical objections to this. Yeah, so, so, this so, so then it turns into like, we should do this. This is something that we should do. We just have to solve the political and practical problem. And but, in fact, very little of it is revealing anything about our natural prejudices. I disagree. So one, I don't think that it's, it, I don't think it betrays the style of the argument to actually bring up the real world um, objections that one might have, because I think those real world objections are reflective of just the psychological mechanisms that make this so uncomfortable. So all it's doing is just trying to to point out that maybe no, no, no. at the end of this article, you'll have a, a sense that y- your reasons are not good for. No, no, no. But, react- but look, so one of their objections is uh, we would be worried about incest uh, in a society where biological kinship w- was obscured. Right. That is a purely practical objection to this that says nothing about our biases or, you know, genetic chauvinism, as they call it. Why, why have that objection if this isn't a serious proposal in terms of, like, what, they, what you would want to do? Hey, do you think John Haidt and his moral dumbfounding questionnaires was proposing seriously that Mark and Julie have sex? I think he, I, I think he absolutely was. <laughs> Poor Mark and Julie. Somewhere out there, there is a, there are a brother and sister named Mark and Julie who have actually had sex, yeah. and they took a psych class, and they're frighteningly worried that somebody has found discovered their secret. <laughs> you snitched, Julie. How could you? You you said you'd never tell anyone. <laughs> it was fun. We used two forms of birth control. Yeah, what's the problem? It made us closer. It made us closer um, together, and we never told our special secret to anybody. Okay, okay let, no, I go, want you to defend one, it. I, I'm not going to yeah, go de- defend let, it. Go like, explain okay. why you love this article. I, I, I just, um, I think it's an interesting thought experiment. So, so first of all, okay, so they say, is the idea so frightening? Yes, it is. It's frightening thought that your own biological... It's stupid. It's not frightening. But okay, sorry. sorry. Well, I won't well, interrupt. So, yeah. th- then maybe we should just point out what the positive claims okay. are that that this would actually so now I, I do believe that it is like a pseudo serious empirical proposal but they they're saying this is fairness like if basically if we were randomly assigned kids and you for instance tamler got a woman you wouldn't be so chauvinistic <laughs> you got a girl I have a girl already uh, yes, I know. That's a, this is. If it were a different race, for instance, maybe it's the case that you would be less racist if you had a little black girl. Maybe, right? right. So there, there they try to build a story that if if you randomly assigned a, a child who's disabled, a child who looks very different from you, then it would just be increasingly difficult to hold some of these prejudices. At least that's the empirical claim. Yeah, right. That's the empirical and, claim, right? Right, because that's the only reason to even propose this, right? Well, but it's not that like would... it's not just to make you less like you know you'll score better on the implicit bias tests, right? It's more like you'll be more motivated to improve education for 
poor children because right, one so of those kids could be your kid, right? So, so that's, that's a dubious that, empirical assumption right there. It's a very Singarian argument. Like, uh, I think it's not. It's Rawlsian, which is why it's Kantian. So, no, it's Singarian and it's, it's utilitarian. And it turns on whether or not the world would be improved really through such random assignment, <clears throat> right? So, um, they, I take it that their argument is it is a mere quirk of our of of natural selection that we favor our genes so much, but we now live in a world in which we ought to be favoring people who need things, not people who look like us or share our genes. And how do we do this? It's hard. It's very, very hard to get rid of this so-called genetic chauvinism, this bias. So one way to do it is to form parent-child bonds in the same way that that parent-child bonds are formed through through the adoption process and and sort of make everybody love somebody that they're not genetically related to and that this by this mechanism somehow people would come to realize that we shouldn't care more about the people in our family like we shouldn't pay the extra money to send our kids to the best school but rather pay money to send other kids to a school right so to me it's a maxim like it's a very much a maximizing these i mean so first of all that's there's no like empirical evidence even though this wasn't written by a philosopher they it, it has as much empirical evidence as philosophers would bring to an article <laughs> empirical like evidence for what for their their hypothesis that if all of a sudden I now had a child who was not biologically related to me and I knew that my child is somewhere out there in the world, maybe in a poor neighborhood, that now I'm more likely to give money to to causes and, – and I guess the, the causal link is supposed to be that I think that my kid might be out there. Well, so there's two there's two claims, and that's why the, that's why I think you're right to point out that they're that they may be even inconsistent. So one is the claim that genetic chauvinism will go away because we now are bonded to people we know aren't biologically related to us. So I think their evidence here is that there really are parent child bonds in adopted families. Right, but that but um, that does so the thing that the key piece of evidence you would need is are they more charitable? Are parents of adopted children more charitable? But but that's only one of their claims. Like you could say like are people who adopt say out like uh, other race babies less prejudice against the members of the race of the baby that they adopted. So that could less be prejudice one in one sense. Like, again, maybe well, they in, score better in, on the implicit bias test, but like, do they, act, does that affect well, their maybe, actions maybe, in any way? Well, may, that's, well, may, maybe, right. So maybe, but so, there's no, I don't see any a priori reason to think so. Well, it's not a priori because it's empirical. So the question is, is there research showing right. that, parents who have adopted other race babies are actually less likely to be prejudiced in whatever task of prejudice you give, right? But so also more likely be more to like, take active steps to deal with. Sure, sure. There might be evidence that way. They don't right? cite any. You would, No, it, no, but this is, again... Yeah, is, there might is, be. I didn't yeah. realize that was enough, like, for a psychologist to say, oh, there well, might be evidence for this. No, but it's not enough for you to say that there is none I didn't, either. I say they provided none. Well... Yes, this is a popular press article, though, you're, as you point out, right? Like, it's not going to be heavily footnoted. But I, but I, it's not on the face of it so absurd that having a family member of a different race would actually change 
your prejudices. It's not on the like, face of it you're so just, absurd, but given the radical upheaval that this would cause, you would want some real results to come out of it, right? Sure, sure. But that's uh, we agree that there would be radical upheaval, but you seem to dismiss it on the grounds that it is so ludicrous that this would have any positive no, effects. No, I didn't say it was so ludicrous. I said it was – I, no, I think the article is ludicrous. I think it's not so <laughs> ludicrous to think that it might have the effect that they say that, they, that it does, but I also don't think it's as obvious as they th- seem to just assume that it would have the effects they say without providing any evidence. Now, when I do that, you usually give me a ton of shit, but all of a sudden now Marvin Frankel or whoever the fuck does it, and you're like, <laughs> the thing is, it's a it's an open question, right? Like they are saying, like, hey, this could really. Ha- There's plenty of research on, say, the contact hypothesis in social psychology that the more people of another race that you know, like the less prejudiced you are, right? I, you're just, I am being very consistent in my critique of you, which is to dismiss it as. Is no, I, a, an absurd. I'm not dismissing that that claim. I think they might be right about that claim. I'm dismissing the article because okay. I think it's when you come up with something so completely pr- impractical and practically inconceivable, right? Then you can pretty much say what you want about it, and and we can be like, well, that sounds right. That doesn't sound right. But what is the point? What is the point of this article? At, on the one hand, it does sort of at the beginning, concede that there's no way this could ever happen and that maybe people would find it repellent. So what have we learned? Like, what is the, what, what have we learned now that we're at the end of this article? <laughs> well, we're, first of all, we're not at the end of it. But, okay, fine. Um, but, but preview. I mean, I, I, I think Spoiler. that, I think that there, there is a lot to learn in thinking about how, like, basically biased we are on the whim of genetics. Like, I don't, for instance, I don't... I, Did we not know that? Did we not know that I, from I don't, Singer? I, I think this makes... I, how, do, how do we know it from Singer? Like, what empirical evidence has Singer provided? No, we know it as much from Singer as we know from this. But Singer's arguments are exactly this kind of argument. But you don't dismiss it as saying, like, it's so preposterous that why are we even talking about Singer? Like, it's true for, like, nobody, the world will never turn utilitarian into pure Singer way. Singer is proposing something that you could actually do. Like, no, all he's, he's, proposing he's proposing is that, you, that, is that psych- you give way more money than you're giving right now. He's not proposing that the government comes in and steals children from – That's a, it's a totally different kind of proposal. What Singer is pro- – anyone who reads Singer's oh, The Life You're- You Can Save can, all, can go on to the charity, you know, like watchdog sites, find the most effective one in the charity and, and, oh. and just give them a shitload of if- money. If your objection is that this that the government doing it no, is, I'm a, is the barrier, how is that then, my objection? Then okay, my objection because is said, that, that, that what Singer is it. asking us to do is possible, and not only is it possible, any individual can do it. Whereas this no. is completely impossible. So what have well, we learned from it? It's so. It's first of all, it's not completely impossible. You could have a society that like kibbutzim that decides to do something very similar to this right it's not just uh, it doesn't require the government everyone knows who their kids are and they're all of the same race pretty much but that's not the point that i'm bringing up the point i'm bringing up is individuals could self-organize and impose this and what like you're all over the place with your objections no so i'm trying to take them one at a time 
the analogy you're making to Singer was that it is, I thought that, that this is so psychologically implausible that nobody would agree to this. No. That I think Singer faces the very same psychological objection. Well, if Singer is making claims about maximization that I don't think ever will be met. Singer's utilitarianism is a burden that human beings will, I don't think, ever get to, right? But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it. You mischaracterize my objection. My objection isn't that it's psychologically implausible. It is both psychologically implausible and practically impossible. Whereas with Singer... But why is it practically impossible? Why is it practically impossible? Just, Just let me finish what my objection is so you don't... So you're, there's no further confusion. I've never heard so it. with Singer, even if his ideal is practically uh, is psychologically impossible, you can approximate the ideal, right? You can get closer and closer to it, and furthermore, you can do it, and people have done it because they've listened to and been persuaded by Singer's arguments. Now, I'm okay. not one of those people, but a lot of people are, and so they, um, they are persuaded by this argument, and now they have something very concrete that they can do. This, okay. This, can I, can wait, I pause? Wait, wait, just let me – this thing, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do if you're persuaded by the argument, and I'm not even sure what the argument is but if you were persuaded by this argument then you'd be like huh and then you would move on with your life there's nothing more that you can do yeah so uh so to the extent that this cannot be approximated it fails is the gist of what you just said no it fails on so many different levels no but this particular objection that you just raised come on at least well yes it is practically impossible it is not and i don't mean practically like virtually like almost impossible i mean it is it is completely – no, you can't give me an example of how this would work. No, listen, Tamler, I'm just trying to take you at your fucking word right now. Yeah. You've just presented an objection about how utilitarianism can be approximated and therefore doesn't fall prey to this problem, right. which cannot be approximated. So all I'm trying to do is talk about that one fucking point that you just made. Okay. So to the extent that I could come up with a society that could approximate something like this, right? Or if I could say, hey – Let's increase the number of cross-racial adoptions, right? If, if you would take that as an approximation, then if that's the problem, then the, let's figure out whether or not truly this cannot be approximated. Well, well now, like, hold I don't on. Think- so, like, if, if the goal of this article is to get people to adopt <laughs> more children and maybe cross-racial children, to get individuals to do that, yeah. then fine. Except that this is... The most roundabout, so, ridiculous way to make that argument. There are people who give very straightforward arguments for why you should adopt rather than have your own biological kids. I, I, think I respect those arguments. This, I think that in presenting this very, very strong, like perhaps unrealistic proposal, it actually makes you think about like what could be done to actually reduce the amount of genetic chauvinism. And to be honest, like – it's more there's more or more ideas here than in just singers require like just saying like give more. Right? Singer's that, actually that's a making, very that's a very poor caricature of what singer says. Just give well, more. It's not a caricature. I mean it's just I mean like it boils down to maximize welfare. Singer doesn't really turn to the psychological mechanisms that are preventing people in So right? here's an empirical claim that I want you to defend, okay? Okay. 
A second effect of social mixing would be to generate a strong interest in the health and well-being of expected mothers, which would ultimately translate into an interest in the social and biological welfare of everyone. Since any child might end up our own, we would provide the social and educational environments that would best enhance their development. Ghettos and slums would be an eyesore for us all. Poverty, drug, and alcohol addiction are already everybody's problem, but this fact would be more meaningful than it is now. The child of that addict might be our biological child. Every victim of a drive-by shooting might be a member of our genetic family. Each of us would see the link between our fate and the fate of others. This is These are purely empirical claims, right? Uh, and I yeah. see absolutely no reason to think that any of them well, are Well, because true. nobody's done them. Like, no. but, but that's not enough that it hasn't been disproved. They're saying this is what but would it, happen. But it's not enough to say that it's impossible because you haven't done the studies. You're like one of those people who says, well, I mean, it's possible that but, climate but change not, is a lie. Like, no, no. It's, there's oh, no but, come on. There's a real objection that I have to what they're saying, but it's not yours. I, they're they're double dipping. They're trying to reduce genetic chauvinism, as they call it, whatever genetic bias, and yet they're also trying to appeal to the genetic bias by saying like every victim of a drive by shooting might be a member of our genetic family. If the point is to not get is to get people to not care about genes, then I think that these are inconsistent empirical claims. But that said, if if your empirical claim is simply this, if you had a society where any pregnant mother might be holding the baby assigned to you. It's not that I don't think that there is evidence or not evidence. I just don't think it's such an, a ludicrous claim that that would make me treat all expectant mothers a bit better. How, if are I you don't treating know them badly? Well, you're not helping I mean, them. You think society, all of a sudden now you're helping them more than you are? All that is needed for this claim is that if I thought that that might be one of my children, that I would be motivated to donate to those charities. And I don't think that's unreasonable, an unreasonable claim. It's not unreasonable in the sense that it's not impossible. But again, I don't... But it's not even ludicrous. But also, I mean, I don't this think is the other like, thing, right? Like, when you're making a claim, like, I could have a claim like, every person should have sex with a member of every other race. And that would reduce prejudice. It's possible, Right. Uh, there, we don't know what claims. it would be like for the government to force us to have sex with members of every of every person's of every person of every different race, and maybe that would uh, make us more charitable, and maybe it would make us less racist, and maybe it would be uh, make us more willing to give money to like battle sexually transmitted diseases. And uh, but okay, that's really interesting. So we should do that, like. That's this article, except with kids. You're conflating. You're conflating things. So there are two. There are two parts of the claim, and and then you're tossing in the government just to, for like good measure. Well, so how is this not? I mean, how is the government take, not going to be involved? Well, let's let's. That's a different argument. Like that's imagine that there were a society of this just is Plato's. Commune. You know, this is Plato's. They're plagiarizing from the Republic without giving him any. But this is exactly his so, proposal. So that I, I, I take it that you're concluding that we should never spend our time reading Plato. No, well, the Republic is a fascinating <laughs> text. But okay. so one is one is there are two empirical claims. One is could you ever convince people, government or no government, could you ever get ran, randomly assign people to have sex with mem- a member of every race? So there is an empirical 
like question yeah. there to be answered. The second one is if you could, right. that is, if you could magically do that, would that change their attitudes? Right. All I'm saying is that that second part seems not that unreasonable. Right. Now, the, now the here's the part, thing, though. My third question, I agree that those are two separate questions, and I agree with you that, that the answer to the second one might be yes, right? But here's the third question, which I don't feel you have sufficiently answered. Why would I write – what is the function? What is the point? What is the benefit of me writing an article for Eon proposing that every person be – compelled to have sex with members of every other race um, in, in society for that would, per my hypothesis, reduce racism and make people more concerned about sexually transmitted diseases and contraception and... Why did we spend two hours talking about that shitty movie with Dustin Hoffman? I mean, that's a weird question. I, I want to know what the value of this article is. Like, imagine that you're an editor deciding whether to publish this. What's the value of it? And this is why, like, I know, like, I'm betraying my own point by the fact that we've spent, like, 40 minutes discussing it, which I can't believe that we're taking it seriously. But, like, I still don't, like, I haven't gotten any answer. This is the answer I want from you. What is the value of this article? It's not that we spent two hours talking about Straw Dogs, which is a brilliant great movie like what <laughs> and what was the point what was the value in talking about straw dog fine but i mean th that's a separate question as you no, love no, to I, you I love to separate to, things into different I questions just, that is no, a separate question than this question whether what's I, the value of this article it seems as if you're using a notion of value that has to have a real-world impact. So the reason I bring up straw dog or is that like it's, some uh, sort of insight obvious. into the human it's, condition something yeah i think this gives us a lot of insight into the what human insight? condition the insight that, like, you, you're so upset by the possibility of randomly assigning children to parents. I'm not upset you even... by it. I think it's stupid. <laughs> you see, but why, but you can't just keep yelling that it's stupid and think that that's an argument. I've given my arguments. Now I'm concluding the premise validly. My argument leads to the conclusion that this article is stupid and worthless. But what kind of value? The reason I brought up straw dogs is that it seems as if what you mean is that this article, in order to be valuable, must have a concrete effect on the way in which we treat each other. Wrong. It must shed some insight in, and you haven't told me what insight it sheds. It must shed some insight on the human condition, on something about us that we didn't know before. Yeah, so I think that it is, and and you know, forgive the world if you already knew all of the stuff that they talk about, because you know, I, I know that you might. The world but is I forgiven, it, but you but, still won't answer the question. Yeah, I'm trying to answer the question because it's been very difficult to answer questions where there's when there's just nebulous objections. That I, this you is a very concrete objection. Very what, it, uh, what or uh, and it's not even an objection; it's a question. What insight has this brought us about the human condition? I, that many of the world's problems could very well be tied to a simple quirk of human evolution which is a bias toward favoring our own relatives. So it's a thought experiment, which I know you're familiar now, with, and I know this... that can have value sometimes. How, how do... And it's talking concretely about how it's elucidating exactly how this genetic chauvinism could give rise to a lot of problems, say, 
for instance, the connection between color and culture, right? The fact that in the United States, we equate brown skin with poverty. That could go away, right? And so what that does is it forces you to think about how that connection is sort is maintained right now through mere genetic chauvinism, right? I mean, I, I, I hadn't thought of it that way. Okay. Well, you answered the question. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever seen less eye to eye to you about something than this. Like we've never been this much not even when we were talking about like and, and again, I guess that you like coercion from the government, like and coercion from like figures of authority. Nothing to do with the government. You're, like are you a Trump supporter <laughs> because you like these authoritarian figures? <laughs> Why don't we just start talking about how small our dicks are? It, <laughs> um, because that's that's the level of discourse that you're getting me to right now. What strikes me is that is that this usually you're the one who likes these like radical crazy cockamamie ideas what? tossed out there it's this article did something i'm of the earth it shook you it shook you it shook me to my core <laughs> this article made me re-examine all of my prejudices and my ties towards my daughter and, towards my family and that's towards actually my what i find distressing is that it didn't cause you to rethink your biases at all i think that's that's really the lesson here is that you're so you're so entrenched in your genetic chauvinism that you're not even willing to accept that this should be published on like some website. I want to hear from the listeners. A website. I, I want to hear from the <laughs> listeners about this article. I want to <laughs> know like if because often when it comes to these things, especially something where the 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 liberal kind of Kantian would agree with it the listeners agree with you but i think this article if the listeners read it will they will agree with me i'm not sure but, i could but be here's wrong the thing. it's not that i'm agreeing that this ought to be implemented what i'm well, what i'm you're... perplexed what i'm perplexed by is how talking Bella's about it sigh of breathing a sigh of relief she's a, well she might not be my genetic child for all i know um and you know what it wouldn't matter <laughs> see now that's an interesting question Right? Like, what if you, if you suddenly found out. found out that your child wasn't your child? Like, if you wrote an article for Eon about that and thinking about that and what that would mean, that is a more interesting question. That would be a more interesting than this, you know. I uh, think the real answer brave is new world you, kind of like you should be dystopia. you should be an editor you should be an editor for Eon. I think that's the final conclusion because clearly you know what's interesting. I you got your finger on the pulse. I know it's not of what's hot in the streets. This is I just got to read this and these two sentences because it strikes me. It, this is I, again I can't believe a philosopher didn't write these. Unnatural as it sounds, social mixing promises many advantages if we are not willing to adopt it. We should consider carefully why. This is like this combination of just stupidity but also arrogance. Like, <coughs> so here's the thing that people misunderstand about like Inspector Clouseau in the Pink Panther movies. People think that all he is is just a bumbling idiot. That's not funny. Just being a bumbling idiot is not funny. That's like the Three Stooges, right? What's funny is if you're a bumbling idiot, but you combine that with a kind of smug, condescending, arrogant attitude, that is comic genius. That is gold. Now, and that's what this I is. I finally understand what you've been going for this whole time. This, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. This, <laughs> 
Fair enough. All right. <laughs> well, let's take a break, that was, that and we good. will be that right good. back. I feel, I feel like cathartic. It, like it was like, uh, uh, we, we haven't done that in a while. <laughs> but like my fit, my fit. I know we, be, we haven't. My Fitbit should be logging this somehow. <laughs> Tell me where can I go? Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Um, just quickly, before we get into support, that was our first fight in a while, but it was very civil. Like It wasn't like the other ones where we were really mad. I think we've matured, you know, 90 episodes in, and we know how to fight. I think it's a, my meditation. You, I think oh, you're just maybe. as unreasonable, but now I better know how to deal with that. Well, it could be the prednisone that I'm on giving me roid rage. <laughs> that, that might be, although you were a very friendly roid rage. <laughs> yeah, You're very agreeable. It's, it's my character. I'm in a very Aristotelian virtue. Uh, I've, I've worked on this so that if the time comes in my life when I have to have steroids pumping through my... You're no, an I, Aristotelian actually, like steroid abuser. <laughs> That's right. Before we talk about morals and markets, um, which is the the title of the paper for our main segment, we want to thank everybody for supporting us in all the different ways that you do. Um, we recently launched a Patreon campaign, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash very bad wizards and you can contribute a little bit of money per episode and we have some rewards we have three levels of rewards depending on how much you decide to contribute and really any amount is appreciated and we've been really flattered and yeah we have as of recording we have 70 patrons and it's just it's it's like a really great happy feeling yeah. so thank you we really appreciate it so that's one way you can support us the other way that people have been supporting us and it's been and it's been really nice is uh through amazon you just go to our website verybadwizards.com support click on the amazon link shop as you normally would on amazon and we will get a small cut of that 
you will be charged no more than you would have paid anyway. So, um, so, so you can do that as well. And also PayPal us if um, you don't want to do it through Patreon. That link is still available. And we will have the T-shirt ready soon. That's, that's next on the agenda because I know a lot of people have expressed the desire for that new design for a T-shirt and maybe a mug. Um, and you can also contact us, verybadwizards at gmail.com on Twitter. Tamler at Tamler at Peas at Very Bad Wizards and like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. We love those reviews. Review reading a new iTunes review sometimes is like I try to save them. Like I don't check for. I know you check compulsively, but I no, try to, I don't like, actually. Like I'm better. No, at, yeah, you've gotten better at. Um, uh, and then you just like re- and you see and there's like three new ones and you're like oh there's always what's nice is it's like a gamble. There is always a chance that there could be one finally one person who just excoriates us. So it's like it's like a tension release. Been a long time. Since repugnant. Not, we're going on four years, man. When yeah. we hit a hundred, if anybody has any ideas for our hundredth episode, feel free to to let us know because it's that's like, like college. Like we're knocking on. We're knocking. I know we've been doing this like a, that's crazy. we might as well have a degree. Um. All right. All right. They told you I was an insane asylum. They told you maybe he smokes crack. They told you everything but the truth. Maybe corporate America fucks with human beings like their products and investments. Maybe a motherfucker brings you into a room and says, this $50 million, this pile of money, it's all for you. And when you try to grab it, he just throws his dick right on top of the Morals and Markets. So this is a paper that came out in 2013, um, published in Science, which, if you don't know, is the premier uh, journal across all scientific disciplines. More um, than nature? Those are the two. Those are the two. I don't know. I don't know what wins. Is it like the Crips and the Crips and Bloods? Have- <laughs> sort of. There are a lot more Crips than Bloods. I don't know if people know that, but it's like an f- order of magnitude more Crips than there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. If only you would agree to have in- adopted babies randomly assigned to you, gangs would go away. All right. <clears throat> but this paper... Uh, Morals and Markets, Armin Falk and Nora Czech, I guess, uh, from University of Bonn and University of Bamberg, um, both in Germany, right? Uh, yeah. um, Bonn is. Yeah. Bamberg sounds um, like it, was, it is. So this is a behavioral economics paper. Uh, and one of the, the interesting things to note, again, for sorry for those who do, is that if you publish a behavioral economics paper, unlike a social psychology paper, yeah. you can't lie to people. Which is an extra level of fascination to the paper. It is. It's super interesting. So uh, the gist of this paper is asking the question, does introducing a market um, into, into a decision about the life or death of, of a mouse change people's willingness to have a mouse gassed to death does it erode right? their moral does it undermine this, their their moral decisions yeah the design is this if you just ask people bring a bunch of people in whatever undergrads people off the street and you ask them a simple question as individuals hey look we're giving you this little mouse see this here's a picture of a mouse real cute um now we have 10 euros. We'll say dollars because I'm just going to forget. $10 um, that we can give you. But if we give you the $10, we're going to gas the mouse. And this is what it looks like 
And so they show a little video of the mouse being gassed to death. Well, uh, so what they find is, and and here you can check your intuition, right? So Tamler, would you take ten dollars? Would you take the ten dollars and like have the mouse gassed? No. So <laughs> mind like, you, there, there is yeah. there is no lying. The subjects are convinced that this will actually happen, and in fact, it does actually happen. They actually kill the mouse yeah. if the person takes the ten dollars. And they actually um, put it the, – the other, the other option, and this is why I think it is a moral choice, is that the mouse lives in an enriched environment for the remainder of its years. So right. it essentially just gets to have a good, nice mouse life until it dies. Right. And in fact, um, one of the things that they point out, and if anybody's concerned about sort of the ethics of this, that merely running this experiment actually – increase the how long the mice in this population because the one thing they didn't tell them this is what's interesting just about the design is that all these mice would have been gassed anyway and so really what they're asking is we will save this mouse from uh, the death that is already assigned to it essentially from the fact that it was in this experiment but um i guess to make it more morally charged it's a little like that story, the button story, you know, like you press this button and somebody, <laughs> right. some, someone you don't know will die. Right. And this is like, but it's a mouse. So wait, I'm actually curious, though, that you're so it's, it's so obvious to you that you wouldn't take the ten dollars to have the mouse killed. Yeah. But like, you would put mouse traps if you had them in your house. Like, that, well, I actually not- don't. We don't do that. I mean, I if we had some like we had mice. And we put like repellents in the attic for a bit, and then they went away. I mean, maybe like you know, if they're like the, when they're bad, they start getting into your food, and you know, you can't buy yeah. bananas or apples, or you have to keep everything for a long time. We had to keep everything in like sealed containers, and yeah. then they're just coming after your your stuff, your home. So then it's like all bets are off, you know. <laughs> Little thug. This is Texas. Um, we have like we're allowed to protect our our property by right. any means necessary. But this is just some mouse that never did anything wrong to you, and is and and you're right. just gonna get like it's the amount of money too, like ten dollars, and just you know an amount of money that's not right. life changing or anything you'd rather, changing. Right. You'd rather pay more money to get tasty animals killed for your back. I knew this was <laughs> going to come up. <laughs> I know, I know. I'll let, yeah. it, let it, I'll let it, let it sit. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's not get into that, but we yes, I wouldn't okay. accept the money. I, I don't. Would you? So I, I, my emotions would tell me not to. I might be swayed by just the obvious sort of ridiculousness of that emotional intuition to take the 10 euros again depending on wait what like sway I, what would sway you to do it i mean i know that it, that that mice are getting sacrificed left and right and that i actually put traps to kill mice in my house and i have no problem with that and so it would be like the cuteness and the thought of me like ca- like causing them to be gassed like i don't think i don't think it's a rational decision for me to forego ten dollars to save the mouse i don't care that much about mice you you they're the caught, you maxim know. like you could will it to be a universal law that you yeah and i well i but i know but i clearly don't like it's like i'm less driven by these gut reactions as, as you um 
It sounds like you're making this a bigger deal than it is. It's like, look, do you want the money or not? And so you're so would you take it or not? I I don't know. I what I'm I guess what I'm trying to say is that I think that I would actually. So you really have, won't answer the question of whether you you would take the ten euros. No, I I answered it. I said I don't know what I would really do, but but I like to think that I I think that I would probably take it. Yeah, I think I'd take it. Okay. So you're the member. This mouse is going to live. If you don't take the money, will yeah. live the rest, the remainder of his mouse life in an enriched environment. Something most mice never get to do. Yeah, yeah. Fuck I don't mouse. care. I don't care about. I don't care that much about mice. Right. I mean, I don't. It, well, I mean, you can't. You can't just say it's that like and then make Germany me avoid in, the, in the vegetarianism objection for the rest of the episode. You didn't avoid it for any part of the segment. No, no, no. But you've requested it. Okay. Maybe my emotions would irrationally cause me to, to be like, oh, mice. I just don't like mice, to be honest. Um, so that was one condition, right? So the researchers actually ran this. Then here's the critical condition, right? This this condition was just the compares. This was what they needed to get sort of a base rate of how how people are sort of on, on their own as individuals, how willing or unwilling they are to exchange the life of a mouse for 10 euros. Their critical conditions were that other people were randomly assigned into a market. So here is the, the first condition, which was a very, very simple market with one buyer and one seller. In this case, say, Tamler is given $20 and I'm given the mouse endowed with the mouse like i'm not holding it or anything but i'm told like i am the keeper of the mouse and we can bargain um for the life of the mouse and here's the incentive that is provided the 20 euros 20 dollars whatever it's given to tamler he can say all right david uh i'll give you seven dollars if you turn over the life that mouse's life i say no you say okay i'll give you nine dollars no no i'll give you twelve dollars but what's 20, my incentive for so you, proposing the twelve dollars? The so that that's what I was about to say. So um, if if we don't engage in the exchange, you don't get any money. Uh, so it's like an ultimatum game, sort of. Kind of right. Yeah. So the twenty the twenty euros that are given to you only become yours if you reach a deal with me about the life of the mouse. Right. And so uh, if I agree to sell the mouse for seven dollars, I get the seven dollars. And you get the thirteen dollars, right? Um, but if if I say like, no, rats are s- sacred and never to be touched, even though I eat meat all the time, um, then then nobody gets any money at all. So now, if we just look at those two conditions, yeah, here's here's uh, let's see, where are the percentages? Um, in the individual decision treatment, that is, it's just you and you're offered 10 euros for the life of the mouse. What you get is 45.9% of subjects. So, so 46% of the subjects are willing to kill their mouse for 10 euros. Which makes you, by the way, less moral than 54% of people. Okay. God, I'm biting my tongue. Um, I saved so many animals. I saved so many animals compared to you. Um, but here is the huge fucking effect. Now, this, for a psychological experiment, is a huge effect. In the exchange rate, in the, exchange, in the market, 72% of sellers were willing to trade for prices 
below or equal to 10 euros. Right. So 48, what is it? 46 to, to 46 se- to 72. Yeah. Um, and this is just counting people like to, for equivalency, 10 euros or below. Right. Right. As they point out, there's an increase of 57.1% relative to the individual decision treatment. That's significant. So that is the difference between no market, an individual choice, and market. And a very simple market, just very, very two people market, engaging in a, in a trade transaction. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but they were interested in creating an even more complex market um, with multiple sellers and multiple buyers engaging in um, this, this decision this trade-off in this other what they call the multilateral market as opposed to the bilateral market um they had seven buyers and nine sellers and same thing went on people were able to make offers um sort of in a serial fashion make an offer get it declined and they could there note what the average price that the sellers were willing to take to sacrifice their rat there's a slightly larger rate of people who are willing to kill their mouse. The killing rate was 76% for prices below or equal to 10 euros. Um, and I don't actually know if that was statistically that different, but, but we're, we're hitting right now, you know, like these, the 80% mark, we're getting close to the 80% mark of people who are just by the introduction of a market. Um, and also, here's another interesting result is that to get that high a rate, so 76%, to get that high a rate in the individual condition, you had to go above 50 euros right. to get 76% of people in the individual condition to agree to it, which is pretty remarkable. It's amazing. So yeah. yeah, so you can do that by by doing this sort of like willingness, will, kind of willingness to pay scales, where you just ask people, "How about would would you right. would you be willing for this? Would you be willing to do this? Would you be?" And you can see the cutoff point at which that percentage of people would be willing to do it. Yeah, right. So just the introduction of a market is 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 like having a really drastic effect. The the lesson here is. When you want things dead, institute a market. It'll be a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's the experiment, right? It's- right. That's the gist of it. So they they end they uh, as as you'll see in the paper if you read it. There are a number of other conditions that are intended to address possible objections. You know, does the same thing happen if you're dealing with a non-moral good? Right. So. One thing they didn't consider is what would happen if people were, their child would be taken away and instead of the child, you would have a mouse. Like, would that change? Because you know now that that might be your mouse. We should do a study where we can, we can do sort of like how many mice would be worth one child. So before we pronounce Marx completely right, as I'm inclined to do, um, why does this happen? What is it about these market dynamics that erode our (laughs) standards as to what the the mouse's life is worth to us? But can we spend a little bit of time? I I also don't want to lapse into the, the discussion that it might lapse into. But are you convinced that it is... A, a moral decision. I guess there's two questions. One is it is it a question that is a moral one, yeah. and two whether it is in fact immoral to decide that it should die. 
I think it's a moral question. It's Again, I, I think if you frame it as the mouse dies or the mouse lives, it's less obviously moral. If you frame it as the mouse dies or the mouse gets to live the rest of its like natural a life, life in an in a enriched environment, then I think that makes it moral. And that also makes me inclined to think that the morally right thing to do is not to accept the money. And and I, I don't... I didn't see this um but i i didn't look closely at the um online material i i do wish that they had asked people if they thought this was a moral decision right um it would be interesting to show that in the market um they they don't think it but in the individual they do um I mean, the the really so, you know, you, you, you make it a dog or you make it a chimpanzee or you make it like and then I think this becomes even more sort of this way. The, the mouse is is chosen, I think, perfectly because it's, you know, what you're seeing is that like, you know, slightly fewer than 50 percent of people don't give a shit. I think everybody would probably have a problem with a full-size dog. But no, um, but I no, I actually disagree. Like I think that adds a little noise that you don't want. Like you want it to be something that everyone agrees is a moral choice so that you're then studying the effects because there's still going to be some amount of money that you would say it for chimpanzee. I, I think it's just practical feasibility. They couldn't get it passed if it was because we don't gas chimpanzees anymore. Or at Yeah, least. I think you would get ceiling effects on people refusing. There was not the amount of you couldn't run this experiment with the requisite amount of money to convince people to right. gas a chimpanzee. So you need to the, weigh up the, the, the amount of money. And, right. and that's an issue because when the money is small enough, you start to wonder to what extent they really do think this is a moral choice. Let's assume. But no, I, like I want to make a quick point because I actually don't think that you need that. I think that what it would have been sufficient to answer to just ask the question: Do you think this is immoral at no matter at at any cost? Right. And there, I think there are people who would believe that for for mice. Really, what we're what we're not seeing here is, and we should be good philosophers and not conflate the possibility that some people. Or could be thinking that it's a utilitarian decision to be made, that there is some number at which it would make sense to sacrifice the mouse because of the good you could do with the other money. Or some people might just be so tempted by the money that they say, fuck it, I will just forget my moral principle here and take the money. And those two people are conflated in the... Con in, in yeah, but, but that's because there is no the first person. <clears throat> Nobody's taking the, that money and giving it to charity. It may be true, but... What do you conclude when somebody takes a really high price? It's not. I'm not sure that you can conclude that they've foregone their morals, like that they've they've just dismissed their moral principle. You would need to distinguish between people who who are sort of insensitive to the quantity, who say this is a principle I won't, like I won't violate, and people who who might even say as like it was never moral to begin with. It was just seemed kind of fucked up to do it for ten euros, but like for fifty euros, yeah. Right. We don't know. Like, that's, okay. that's the only point I'm making. It seems like nitpicking to me, but whatever. I know. It's like psychological. It's two different psychological. Like, possibly, I laid out three potential psychological mechanisms that could give rise to the same decision. Right. But all that doesn't matter because we have actual behavior. I mean, it matters, but, but the fact that we have actual behavior is obviously, like, cool. It allows us to elide crucial distinctions. <laughs>
Because yeah. I, I, I think that just assume for the sake of argument that, that it is a, a, a moral choice in order to get at the interesting question of why the price goes down or the percentage of people goes up who are willing to do it um, once you introduce market conditions. And they give three different hypotheses for why that is. First, you have um, a the distribution of responsibility. So there's the, the cool thing about the yeah. individual condition is it's completely up to you who whether that mouse lives or dies and you're the only person that is blameworthy. You're the only person that's responsible if the mouse dies, gets gassed, right? And then uh, when you have two people, now there are two of you that have to share that responsibility. And then when you further have the multi, multi-market multilateral market. multilateral market condition, another thing kicks in, which is people think, well, maybe it will happen anyway like the mouse is gonna die i might as well make a little money out of this because you think well this is gonna happen anyway like i buy this iphone it's not like the sweatshops are going to shut down if i don't buy this iphone or it's not like you know if i don't buy these sneakers um, that nike factory in indonesia is gonna start paying their you know their kids a living wage or whatever you know so um so there's that and then the the other dynamic that i didn't mention is once you introduce markets it just gives like and, and the fact that other people are willing to do this that gives you more information about prevailing norms and gives you more <laughs> license to to act in your own self-interest because that seems to be the norm that everybody is I mean, and there is a large body of work showing just this. I mean, it's interesting that this that this simple, um, very you know, manufactured in a lab for the purposes of this experiment, in this one shot experiment, is is having this effect. It's brilliant, Um, like because these things are translatable, right? Like they reflect real world dynamics that there's a lot of evidence for and that we can relate to. The reason I think that for Marxists out there, this is a great example of how something that is, you know, just a part of the economic structure of society can actually make people less moral, less caring, less empathetic, less – it can just slowly make them more consumed with their own self-interest. So it actually has this effect not only on our psychology but on our just – our sense of what's moral and what's not. And again, it's not like there's a demagogue like preaching this thing. It's purely this impersonal economic dynamic that's being introduced that act, that can have this noticeable effect of eroding our moral core. Right. By the way, um, the, one finding we didn't mention is that in when you keep the market going, um, you you start seeing drops in prices. Right. So that people are actually there's a downward trend. Um, so that the in the final period of their, I think it was in the multilateral market. Um, it dropped to as low as 4.5 euros as the like the, the going price to kill a mouse. But I think that the, just the entrance into the market is what's driving the, this, the norms thing. Like all of a sudden you've told people it's okay. Right. And so, so, yeah, I mean, how many science papers 
even exists where there's a discussion of Marx at all. Right. Never mind one where it just seems there's such a clear direct link to right. to those ideas and you know and, and and in a very relevant way like this distinction that Alan Fisk and Tage Rye make and but that others have made before them say call it sacred and profane like sacred values um they're hard to maintain in a market economy right. because as as many people have pointed out what you know money is fungible or whatever like that at some point you have to start putting a price on things so for instance insurance companies have to put a price on the loss of a limb right right so you sell death and dismemberment insurance you're putting a price on a life because if you want to make a corporation responsible for negligence because of the factory conditions and you lost an arm you probably should get less money than losing two arms Right. And the only way to punish the corporation is because a corporation is not a real person. You can't throw them in jail. You have to like financially punish them. And so now all of a sudden you have a list of, of prices that you've put on on and things then, like fingers. And my buddy, Damani, actually, who was on the podcast, he <clears throat> got his uh, he worked at a chip memory chip factory. He got the tip of one of his fingers cut off completely. Um, so how, how much, much is that, that worth? worth? I, don't, yeah. I don't, I don't remember, but <laughs> worth it. No, worth but it. so, so once you've done that though, like the dynamic doesn't end there. Now you have these companies trying to make calculations about how safe they want to make their cars. I was a recall coordinator. My job was to apply the formula. A new car built by my company leaves somewhere traveling at 60 miles per hour. The rear differential locks up. <sighs> the car crashes and burns with everyone trapped inside. Now. Should we initiate a recall? Take the number of vehicles in the field, A, multiply it by the probable rate of failure, B, then multiply the result by the average out-of-court settlement, C, A times B times C equals X. If X is less than the cost of a recall, we don't do one. And there was that famous thing with the Ford Pinto where right. they did the arithmetic and then people die. And that's just – and again, all these things, nobody's trying to institute these things for evil purposes. It's right. just how the market works. It's, and if they don't byproduct. do that, then right. they'll get outcompeted by Chevrolet or the Japanese pro- or the Japanese cars and companies. Yeah, everybody thinks that like their – like say, take your child. Like your child's life is worth infinity. But this is just not true. So you like car manufacturers have to do the math. But as individual human beings who are thinking about the lives of people, um, it's just it's like you're looking at the mouse, right? Yeah, it's it's and and writ large, the market can't look at the mouse. It has to look at mice. So I guess there's two sort of interplays, and it's and the uh, the experiment is more getting at one of them, which is there like the market plays into all of our biases to get us to be more self interested and less altruistic. It gives us moral license because it gives us information about the prevailing norms. There's the whole shared responsibility thing, you know, like the Kitty Genovese kind of effect, the bystander right. effect, diffusion. Yeah, and then there's just the idea that this is going to happen whether I contribute to it or not, so I might as well benefit from it. So all those things come into play. In addition, in a capitalist system, in a a free market system, you also have the pressure of, which you don't have in this experiment, of if I don't make these 
tough decisions in our company's self-interest, we will be outcompeted by somebody that does. I guess you have it a little bit with... Well, you know, and this is why I, certain companies can be powerful enough like um, to, to be on Apple's jock a little bit. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, at a stockholders meeting was essentially asked about all these, you know, they're trying to institute better practices, humanitarian practices in China, um, and but it's at cost to them. And so somebody asked about the, and whether this was fiscally responsible, if it's going to be more expensive. And he, because he owns like the, you know, the most valuable company in the entire world said, screw it, then sell your stock. Like that's not the kind of thing we're going to do. But most companies can't do that, right? And so in order for the market to persist, um, it's very, very hard to stop these forces from happening. So I'm just going to read a little bit of their, in their conclusions. They say, we've shown the market interactions display a tendency to lower moral values relative to individually stated preferences. This phenomenon is pervasive. Many people express objections against child labor, other forms of exploitation of workforce, detrimental conditions for animals and meat production or environmental damage. At the same time, they seem to ignore their moral standards when acting as market participants, searching and buying the cheapest electronics, fashion or food and thereby consciously or subconsciously creating the undesired negative consequences to which they generally object, which is totally true. It's something that we talked a bit about with um, Jennifer Jacquet. Um, when you're trying to change consumers so that they won't actually lower the conditions of laborers, you got to charge, you got to charge more. But when's the last time I was like, Oh, well, let me pay. Here are two pieces of electronics that are identical. Let me buy the more expensive one. You're almost like a hippie in this country if you do that, right? Well, it's funny because you're not if you go to Whole Foods to buy your meat or you go – you buy like I think people make that choice all the time when it comes to like free-range meat products, non-factory farmed products. And I think they probably make it a lot less often when it's when, – when it'll be a bigger difference in price for the individual item. But like <laughs> yeah. she said – you know, we'll pay a little bit more for dolphin safe tuna just to make ourselves feel better about it. And right, the, and the and the problem is that you're still communicating the norm that it's okay to buy the, the unsafe meat, or right, the fucked up meat for cheaper. Um, when in reality, what you would want is for everybody to stop doing that. The critical misstep there is turning it into a consumer choice. Right. And essentially now giving companies like two products to sell, right. like one slightly more expensive. And that's really like not the best way to do it because, you know, now if you have like child labor safe iPhones versus non-child labor safe iPhones, like that's kind of weird. Like that's – Yeah, <laughs> that's, but Whole Foods is an interesting sort of middle – path there because the whole company is committed to providing these at premium prices humane treatment of animals and fair trade coffee and all of that they're they're committed to that as a company in the same way that you're well it sucks because that's what it's create what it's created is through moral luck poor people are essentially more blameworthy Right. Well, yeah, they're less able to stick to their moral standards if they want to. And then there's the question, and I don't know the answer. I guess it's an empirical question of like what these things actually get done. Because if you're a defender, like John Mackey, who's the 
uh, CEO of Whole Foods, is a big defender of capitalism. So if you're a defender of capitalism and market dynamics in general, you would have to say, this is our way of improving the world. Like, we're going to get enough consumers on board with this way of, of handling things that they're going to be willing to pay more. And now the, the market, as opposed to the study, is actually working for us rather than against us. Or you could look at it more pessimistically, like I think Jennifer Jacquet does, which is, this is just a way to get people to, like, out of sight, out of mind. I'm doing yeah. my part. Like, screw it. Right. Right. I have, like, the little eco logo on my washing machine. Yeah. <clears throat> So I, I'm a, I'm a little wary of the breadth of their conclusions because there are cases in which, and maybe it's just the, the libertarian strand in me as much as, as you have accused me of wanting the government to step in. Um, there are things, so just you could say- take take all your children. <laughs> yeah, just take my children. Or to, no, to give me children. There are some things that because of this, we keep away from the markets. So they point out, right? So there are certain quote unquote repugnant activities. So- there are things that we don't want in our market. Uh, we don't allow um, human trading. We don't allow, in most states of the U.S., we don't allow exchanging sex for money. Um, we don't allow organ organs to enter the market. And I think that we think that we are keeping things sacred, and we are that by by allowing a market, we are devaluing the thing. Right. But there are instances in which I think that actually prevents us from having some utilitarian progress. That is, I think there are good reasons to think that having markets uh, that are regulated in some of these cases um, would make things much better. Right. I, I, I think that, for instance, there's evidence that um, sex workers, if sex work were made legal, it would be a lot easier to make sure that they're safe sure. and yeah. disease free and all that stuff. Right? Um, but it is, it is hard for us to take that step. There is, I think it's a case by case basis. <clears throat> Should we allow people to be sold as like sexual slaves? It's and, called marriage. Uh, <laughs> I think everyone would agree. No, that's not something, you know, even if sexual trafficking or child pornography or something like that, you know, the practices somehow could be more regulated right. by the market, that's not something you would want. On the other hand, like, I think it's an open question for something like organs, right? right. There are people dying from kidneys. There are people who would sacrifice a kidney to put their kids through college. Why don't we allow that to happen? Right. No Our mutual friend Sally Sattel has argued yes, um, that we should that, that, that we should. And in fact, I, I lean toward having a market for for organ donation for for those kinds of organs that could be said to be safe enough where the operation and the survival rates are high right. enough. Yeah. Well, I do worry. About, I mean, why not? I don't need mine anymore. I'm getting old. <laughs> okay. oh, I thought you just wanted two penis. So, so what, what, what do you think is too strong about their conclusion? Um, I, I don't think that, I think that they're careful. In fact, I wanted to point out this, that they say themselves, the point of this paper is not to question market economies in general. In fact, other organizational forms of allocation and price determination, such as in totalitarian systems or command societies, do not generally place higher value on moral outcomes. Right. You can have shitty people acting and trading slaves in completely totalitarian non-market economies. It's not like so Kim Jong-il is like... <laughs> right, like <laughs> by abolishing the market, he's like on some more moral high ground. You know, people could take 
home like the they, they could just say well oh look markets are bad right and i don't think that's i yeah. think that it's it's showing like a really interesting psychological effect of just introducing a market i think it's question- here is a but not markets are bad in comparison to other alternatives it's here is something that we should really worry about uh when it comes to markets and in more sort of technical terms they'd say um so in our experiments, subjects were fully aware of the consequences of their decisions our findings therefore suggest that appealing to morality has only limited potential for alleviating negative market externalities. Um, For example, anti-child labor or environmental campaigns may not be that effective because markets for goods undermine the relative social values. I think what they're after here is more regulation, less just appeals to people's goodwill and moral fiber because if you're having a market that that those things will be under attack by the right. market dynamics. Right. I yeah, right. I think one way to think of it is the minute you introduce a market, the psychological mechanisms that give rise to action or inaction change. Right. And you need to be cognizant of that. So you won't have the strong emotions of, you know, sanctity and and maybe even honor or whatever um that are that are in some ways keeping a norm going. You, but you could have other ones, right? So you're just essentially shifting the psychological mechanisms. And I think that's very consistent with Fisk and Rye and their sort of market, their exchange mode. Yeah. Um, um, so here's what I really want to know. And I'm, first of all, I, do, I, I know that we said this, but I want to, to highlight that they did show people a 30-second video of a mouse dying by, ga- by getting gassed. And so it says, to visualize the killing of mice by gas, you will in the following see an excerpt of a documentation video, 30 seconds. The mouse will be killed. He's like, your mouse will be killed in an identical way. Yeah. Um, so Kind of unbelievable. What I, That's why I think you don't take 10 euros. Well, what I want to know is of the 43% who took 10 euros, yeah. how many of them were conflicted and thought it's worth it to sacrifice my kind of moral belief that it's wrong? And how many were just like, dude, it's obvious. Like, it's just a fucking mouse, right? Right. I really am curious as to how many of those those thought that they were doing a wrong thing. It would be hard to find out because you couldn't necessarily trust self-reports on that. Right. You, I suppose you could approximate something like by asking a separate, like, or maybe asking them at time one and then seeing whether or not they stick to their guns. What happens if you do this with a kid? Like a baby. Wait. <laughs> you mean have a kid make the decision to kill a mouse? No. Or? The, like the baby is going to die. You or know, live well, in an enriched environment. I have a colleague, David Smith, who does uh, who, who studies memory. And he studies the role of the hippocampus in place memory. And he uses mice and rats. And they, they have to kill, right? They have to sac- they sacrifice rats. And a lot of times they have to do them in very specific ways, like snap their neck um, <clears throat> because you can't drug them because what they're doing is taking very, very thin brain slices to look under a microscope to see the areas of the brain that were affected um, uh, while the mouse was engaged in this task. And so they need to hire undergraduates to do this. So they train them, Right. And after a while, you got to know how to snap the neck of a mouse, right? And we've always wondered to what extent. So, uh, of course, some people, there's, of course, there's going to be self-selection. If people think this is really aversive, they won't do it. But most students 
are really bothered by this at first. And then after a while, it just becomes commonplace. We've always been curious about whether it would generalize to anything else. So part of the explicit rationale that they're told in the lab is that, you know, this is just what has to be done for the sake of knowledge. So for the sake of me getting tenure for the sake of, for the sake of knowing the empirical work that Tamler will then ignore. Um, what, will they become more utilitarian in other domains? Like, will they be more willing to endorse sort of that line of argument? Because will they be more likely to masturbate into a chicken? (laughs) Surely that has utilitarian value. What have I been doing this whole time? (laughs) What have I been doing? Are they more likely to give to charities? Like the real measure of utilitarian? The Uh, pressing question is whether they would agree that it is okay to push a fat mantras. I mean, I think that's would settle things once and for all. (laughs) <laughs> and wipe the toilet with their national. <laughs> All right. All right. That's that. Rise up against your capitalist leaders. And let's bring about the final stage of the revolution. By the way, if you donate enough to us on Patreon, we'll actually change our opinion to match whatever you want it to. <laughs> exactly. We will. <laughs> We should have a level of we will believe morally whatever you want us to. Right. For a hundred dollars an episode, Tamler will actually become a Kantian or at least read <laughs> no, to figure out what a Kantian is. <laughs> okay. For a hundred dollars you'll figure out what a Kantian really is. Yeah. For a thousand dollars you'll become that thing. For a thousand dollars I will become the opposite of what I am. So I will become unra- like irrational and unreasonable and wrong. I think you can get a cheaper price, listeners. <laughs> All right. Uh, we will be back next time. Thank you for joining us on Very Bad Wizards. Just a very bad wizard.